Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So, I'm going to be as much like Jesus this morning as I can possibly be. And therefore, could you just turn your Bibles to John 3, verse 5. If you've got a real Bible, in the, in the way Jesus would have done during his earthly walk, you get yourself a sweet this morning. So Ella, congratulations. Yeah, but Jesus didn't have the technology, you know? No. It's alright, he still would have done it. Jesus, if you, read, if you read in Revelation, it says he's going to come with sweets. Um, just got to, you've just got to really, really, really read it and just see it. I know you don't want one, Jess. We're going off one anyway. Thank you. Well, he still offered sweets for those who, who read him, shall we say. Yeah, we can look at it like that instead. Um, so John 3 verse 5. So I've been like Jesus by the sweets. Um, for those of you listening via podcast, have a sweet if you're reading that real Bible. Just treat yourself. Um, John 3, verse 5. I'm going to read a really weird verse, completely out of context, but just to show something here, which is a great way to teach from the Bible out of context. Um, John 3, verse 5. And Jesus, said, Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, or he might have said in your version, verily, verily, um, or some version of that. What he's really saying is, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. You need to draw attention to this. Now, as much as I don't always pay attention, and my children and my wife always remind me of that, that you're not listening to what I've just said, if, if Jesus has to say, pay attention to what I'm about to say, if Jesus has to say that, then we need to probably say that even more, okay? And I'm going to do something that's probably risque this morning because I'm going to share almost the same message that I shared two weeks ago on Psalm 23. Um, but I'm going to do it like Jesus by saying, verily, verily, most surely, pay attention. Not because necessarily I am some profound oracle of wisdom, but because I really believe God wants to share something through what we're looking at in Psalm 23 and just get this idea across to us. And therefore, in the same way Jesus did, I am saying this morning, pay attention. Pay attention to what I'm sharing this morning. Pay attention to what God's speaking through it this morning. Pay attention to the fact that I'm repeating a lot of what I've already said, but I'm doing that intentionally because I want us to catch catch something that sinks in and I include myself in that this is not me saying I've got this therefore you lot need to listen to me this is me saying to myself pay attention to this Steve listen to this because there's something significant in what God wants to do amongst us that isn't summed up in this but is um, revealed partly in, in this this morning so I want us to go to again Psalm 23 and the advantages of today you're probably not gonna have to turn much in your fake unreal bibles this morning so you can just stay in that one digital page um i got that straight away <laughs> psalm 23 the feel of the pages it just just makes you more spiritual um so psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want i'm going to stop right there um i um it made me smile the other day um 
I don't know whether you've ever seen it or watched it on Netflix, but Netflix is... I love Netflix. Netflix is great because it, it opens you up to so many things you don't necessarily have access to a normal everyday telly. I don't think I can remember the last time I watched anything on normal telly other than Match of the Day. That's about all I watch, and even that's on iPlayer. So, but Netflix is this kind of like world of like stuff, like Amazon Prime films, documentaries, series, that some of which you've never even heard of before. But it made me smile the day because the one that was advertised, and Netflix is this thing, isn't it, on the top page, advertised on the top page of Netflix, was something, a, a series by a woman called Marie Kondo, I think, or Marie Kondo. Now, if you don't know who that is, you would join the club because I had no idea either who that was. But um, she is an expert in tidying, Okay. So she is a specialist in tidying. Now, it made me smile because I just looked at her and I thought, my goodness me, this woman has become famous because she can tidy. She has now got a series on Netflix teaching everybody else how to tidy. Now, I'm not knocking that. Um, I think it actually does have some psychological benefits of when you organise and tidy things. But the fact that she has specialised in tidying to such a degree that she's now got a series on Netflix allowing us to see an insight into her life about tidying. It's just phenomenal to me. It's just an amazing thing. I stood back and thought, that, that's just incredible. We've got to such a point in society where actually we now need a series on Netflix to tell us how to tidy. And this woman is now a celebrity, not because she's done some kind of sporting achievement or because she's done some kind of great Nobel Peace Prize aspect or because she's stopped slavery or because she's abolished racism or anything like that, but because she can tidy well. And she's got a series on Netflix because of that. I'm not knocking her for that. That's fine. But it just made me think that... What happens when you specialise in something to such a degree that you become the expert on that? You become the person that is known for that. That she has multiple followers and it just shocked me. Because I was so interested by this thing. I was like, well, I've got to find out more, more about this. And so I read an article on her. And she's not the only one. There's a woman on, on, on Twitter that, that has uh, one and a half million followers. And all she does is upload things on Twitter and up- things on Instagram to do with again tidying so there's this whole kind of movement where people are just like wanting to follow these people who are able to tidy and it just really caught me this idea that these people are just specialising in tidying and then it made me start thinking okay actually there's lots of people that do that isn't there there's lots of people who specialise in one aspect of something and then become the expert in that unfortunately I've chosen the probably the worst profession in the world and the worst degree in the world because as a geographer who's had a got a degree in geography we are literally known as the jack of all trades we are known as the ones that kind of complement so many different things but we're not really a specialist at anything um and i think there's something in that but this idea that in society we we can actually specialize in to such a degree that we become celebrated for that thing that we specialize in footballers sports people people that focus in on an aspect of society or people that do again not looking at it PhDs on the most specific and nuanced little things, and that's what they give their life to. Um, and it's, I'm, again, it's not a criticism, just a phenomenal thing to think, give yourselves to that, to such a degree that that's, you live and breathe and know that. And in the way that my head works, God then said to me, what about if you became a specialist in knowing that we're his? What about if that's what we specialised in? What about if that is where we focused in on? That we almost didn't say, I'm going to become the best person at, or the best teacher in the world. I'm going I'm I'm to become um, the best, um, I don't know, blogger in the world. I'm going to become the best, um, I don't know, kind of 
orator in the world. But actually, I'm going to become someone that specialises in knowing that I'm his. And I'm going to give my time and my attention and my thought life to that. To remind myself that I'm his. To remind myself that he's with me. To remind myself that, that he has chosen me. To remind myself that he has accepted me. To remind myself that he has loved me. What if I specialised in that? What would my life look like? What would our lives look like if that's what we specialised in? If we gave ourselves to knowing him and making him known. Now that sounds cheesy and we use that term so often. But what about if we specialised in that? And we almost didn't focus on, okay, what, what specific area of, of the church do we need to focus in on to make sure we have a niche? Or what specific area of, of society do I need to focus in on to make sure that I am known for that thing? It, it's probably not going to be tidy enough. That's filled. Could I focus in on recycling? Could I focus in on, on eating chocolate? Could I focus in on any of these different things? What a, it's not about looking for the area where I fit in. It's going, okay, let me specialise in knowing him. Being known as his and making him known. Let, let me give my time and my effort and my energy to that. Because so often we can think, okay, well I know that now. I'll move on to stuff that's more advanced. Or I'll move on to stuff that, that's more detailed. Or I'll move on to stuff that, that's kind of esteemed more. But what about if we didn't? What about if we camped around the fact that I'm going to know you, I'm going to know that I'm yours, and I'm going to know that you've called me, and I'm going to know it, I'm going to live it, I'm going to walk it out, it's going to be the thing that, that defines my life, because we'd actually be in pretty good company, because Paul, who we revere and we esteem from, from the early church, and is, is kind of writing the 13, 14 books of the New Testament, that, that he said in Philippians that, that I, I lay aside everything, and I press on to know him. That every achievement I've got, every, every success I've had, the things that I have specialised in, he says, that things I, I was an expert, I, I was the guy, but I'm going to lay all that aside that I might know him. And it's just interesting because he, he caught that. He's caught the fact that I want to be known as someone that knew him, that, that was known as his, that was marked by by him and that intimacy. And this idea of the Psalm 23 for me, I cannot shake this concept that he walks with us throughout the whole thing. And just this idea of that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is the context to Psalm 23. And that is the context to life. That the Lord is my shepherd. I am his. And therefore because of that I don't want. That that's my security. My security is not in my specialism. My security is not in my, my reputation. My security is not in my status. My security is not in my identity as a dad, as a husband, as a, as a teacher, as a friend even. My security is not in my, my gender. My security is not in my um, past successes. My security is not in the potential I show. My security is in none of those things. My security is in the fact that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I'm not pursuing the next thing to give me some sense of, oh, now I'm okay because I've got that thing. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's where my identity is. That's the context of this thing. It's interestingly, it's also not in even my restoration or my being restored. That's not where my identity is. I, I am not successful because I am, I've got it together. I am not in a good, necessarily aiming for, just have it together. What I'm aiming for is to be his. 
and to be known as his. Does that mean that there will be success? Of course there will. Does that mean there will be a restoring of who I am? Of course there will be. But the fact is that my identity is not even in that. My identity is in the fact that I am his. I'm going to specialise in that. I'm going to know that. I'm going to push that and just let that be there. Can I look in his beautiful, loving eyes and go, okay, if all I'm ever known as, if all I ever know is you, that's enough. And really mean that. Because I was, we, we, we were talking in the preaching group on Wednesday and the, and the conversation kind of went to, what do we want to see? What do we want to have work through our lives? And we've talked through different things. I'm not going to say what other people said. But for me, I genuinely believe that I, I will have an impact on society. And I believe that in my lifetime, society will be changed. Now that, that's a lofty ambition. But that's what I want to have happen. I look at people like William Wilberforce and Martin Luther King and those kind of guys who shape society and they just inspire me. I'm like, man, I just want to leave that kind of mark. And there's nothing wrong with that. And that's okay. But can I look into his eyes and go, okay, even if I never do any of that, if that never happens, knowing I'm yours is enough. And because you're my shepherd, I'm not going to want I'm not even going to want those things that are good and right and noble because knowing you and knowing I'm yours is enough. Does that mean there's nothing else? Of course not. But actually knowing I'm yours is enough. And I believe this whole psalm is to do with that. It's to do with the fact that the context is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the context. That when he leads us beside still waters, when he makes us lie down in green pastures, when he restores our soul, that is all in this context of like, I am almost filling out the reality that you lack nothing. That he's almost taking us to places and spaces that it's not about gaining identity. I suppose is the best way of saying it. It's not about gaining an identity. He's not making us lie down in green pastures. He's not leading us beside still waters to help us gain an identity. He's taking us into those spaces to let us see the identity that we've always had. That just imagine for a moment. You can close your eyes. Actually, close your eyes. Not if you want to. Close your eyes. Okay. Imagine that right now you lack nothing. That there, there is nothing emotionally, mentally, physically that you lack. That your soul is at complete peace. Your mind, your will and your emotions. That your body is not got any kind of sickness or disease or illness attached to it. That, that your relationships are good and strong. And secure because you've demonstrated the heart of the Father towards those people. In whatever way it is, husband, wife, children, friendships, parents, whatever, whatever it is. The, the way that you conduct yourself in the world mirrors the way that Jesus conducted himself in the world. Whatever that looks like. I don't want to put too much specificness on that. But imagine that was true. Imagine that there was everything available for you to live like that. And the beautiful reality is, is that is the truth. That when Jesus died on that cross, when he rose again from the dead, when he defeated death, he did it enough that there is an abundance of everything that's ever possibly needed. There is more health available than we need to be available. There is more 
soundness of mind available, then we need to be available. There's more than we need. He overpaid. He, he overreached. He, he, he reached so far and so wide that actually anybody or any time I encounter lack in the areas of any of those things, I need to spend a moment and go, okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he has made, he has, he has done it all. He's made it all available. And therefore, this idea of him leading us beside still waters, his, his, this idea of making us lie down in green pastures, is him doing something to restore us. But the idea of restoring is that you're bringing it back to something that was before. Yeah. He, he is not making us new in the sense of like, I'm making lie down in green pastures, I'm leading you beside still waters to bring you to something that's not yet been or not yet done. He said, Look, I'm doing this to restore you. I'm going to make you eat and drink. I'm going to make you feed on the realities of what Jesus did so that you are coming into aligning yourself with what's already been done. And that's the beautiful thing because then it changes the way we shape, we go after this thing, that we're not pursuing something that we need to gain. We're just simply starting to walk into something that's already been done. Because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. That, that, that's why the context of this is that. If you think of it from the idea of a sheep, the sheep is so con- confident, so secure in the fact that I'm not going to want anything because he's done it all. This, this shepherd of mine has everything I'm ever going to need. Has everything I'm ever going to want. He's got it sorted. And he's my shepherd. I'm not going to want. I'm not going to lack for anything because he's my shepherd. In the same way, Jesus is our shepherd. He has died. He has paid the price. And therefore, we're not going to lack anything because he is our shepherd. And this walking, this journey is us almost coming into what's or aligning ourselves with or joining ourselves up with what's already been done for us. And it's almost it's unpacking it as we go through. He's kind of like revealing it as we're walking through this journey, this journey with him. But the context of the whole thing is that I want to be known as yours. You're my shepherd, I'm not going to want. You're my shepherd, I'm not going to want. When, we talked, when I talked about the end of the worship time, the idea that facing these challenges, these circumstances, God wants us to get to a point where we look at them and go, there's more than enough for that situation. There's more than enough. Because you think about what, what Jesus did with the disciples, is that he, he turned five loaves and two fish to feed 20,000 people. And then he went on a boat with them and they started to question whether they would get to the side. They started to question whether they would be able to do it, whether they were able to achieve what, what he wanted them to do. Um, and then G- G- Jesus challenged them and they said, is it because, because um, and he started to talk about the loaves and the fish and the, so he started to talk about the, the, the leaven in the bread and they, were, they, they looked confused and they kind of baffled what, what on earth is he talking about what's he gone on about um, and they said it's because we didn't bring any lunch and he's not at all talking about did they not bring lunch when, where's the lunch he's talking about the fact that I've just shown you that with five loaves and two fish we can provide for 20,000 people therefore because of that your mentality can never be I haven't got enough anymore haven't got enough to get to the other side. Haven't got enough to get to, to see this overcome. Haven't got enough to see this situation change. That I genuinely am finding in teaching in school the amount of children and adults with kind of debilitating mental health issues is growing massively. 
And you can sit there sometimes and go, I haven't got the foggiest idea how to do this. I know what to do to get them through the day or to get them through the year, but it feels very much like a plaster. Yeah. It's like, but there's more than enough to see their mental health restored. To see that change. Because Jesus went across the sea again. And I've gone well far off my notes. Um, <laughs> Jesus went across the sea and was encountered by a guy who was chained up, who was put out of the community he was in because his mental health um, and his behaviour and his conduct was so extreme that they couldn't cope with him anymore. So they shunned him and put him separate from that. Now, I'm not saying that mental health is necessary to do with anything to do with demonic stuff, but just I'm not making that connection just for the sake of this analogy. But this... This, this guy was not in his right mind. He was not in a good place. Jesus comes and encounters him. And we go through a process where then eventually the guy ends up in a few moments sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. Yeah. In a few moments. Now, that is restoration of someone's mental health. And that's supernatural restoration of someone's mental health. Now, do I believe every single situation of someone's mental health would be dealt with like that? No. Because I believe that sometimes there's, there's practice and things work in different ways. But my point is, there's more than enough. That guy wasn't partly in his right mind, or just about there, or on the journey to being there one day. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, and it specifically says, clothed and in his right mind. Did he gone from being naked and chained up in a cave to being clothed and sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind because there's more than enough and the reason there's more than enough is because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want Jesus walked that he demonstrated that whatever I encounter there's more than enough whatever sickness I encounter whether it's someone's fault or not there's more than enough to see that sickness disappear from their lives whether there's any identity issues there's more than enough to see that identity issue change and transformed there's more than enough in all these things more than enough because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want and he takes us on this journey and it's both for us and for the world he takes us on this journey to see I'm going to reveal to you what you've what's been bought for you what's been paid for you I'm going to show you what's always been there and I'm going to start to restore you, bring you back to the reality of what I've accomplished on the cross, show you who I've made you to be. And as we start to go on this journey, he's starting to reveal that in us. But as he's doing that, he's not just going, right, it's not just you, I'm actually going to take you in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to take you into places that are barren, places that are empty, I'm going to make you encounter your enemies. Because we're not just going to see us restored, we're going to see this society restored. Both from a systemic societal point of view, the value of the shadow of death, but also into the people that we think embody that broken society. The people that we kind of cannot stand because of the way that they seem to champion that system. Those enemies of ours, those people. But notice he separates the two. He separates the people, the enemies, from the value of the shadow of death. That he's making a divide in this psalm between the two. Why is that important? Because we are both here to restore society, but we're also here to restore people. And we can't connect by society. I mean the systems in society. We can't put the people that perhaps sometimes embody that system into the system. Because the way I deal with a person is very different to the way that I deal with a system. Because if I deal with a person the way that I deal with a system, I'll have to get rid of that person. But if I realise actually I need to get rid of a system but restore a person, that's very, very different. I, 
I need to see the value of the shadow of death not be there anymore. To be changed from the value of the shadow of death to a place of life. But I need to see the person, the enemy, sat at the table with me. There's a very different set of ways of dealing with it. That as soon as I try and deal with a person where I deal with a system, I have to exclude. I have to. Because if I think the person is the system, then the, the, the person has to go away. I need to get rid of all those people that, 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 that seem to embody the politics or the, or the kind of culture or the, or, or the systems of this world. I have to get rid of them. Because if I think they're connected to it or that they are it, then they have to go as well. But we know they're not. They're people caught up in the system in the same way as we can get caught up in that. Therefore, I have to deal with that and see that system of the world, that, that, that way of excluding people, that way of making the, be the rich be rich and the poor be poor, the way of, of racial discrimination, the way of whatever it is, I need to see that gone and disappear. And the value of the shadow of death become a place of life. But I need to see the person sat at my table. And therefore be in a place of abundance. Because they're loved. The system's not. But they are. I have no idea where I am on this anymore. But we'll find out in a moment. (laughs) I remember... And the beauty of this thing is that we don't do this on our own. Like I said uh, uh, today, that when I encounter that flood or that broken down wall or that situation that stresses me out, and I'm not good at this, Susie will testify to this, I'm not good when stuff doesn't go the way I want it to go. Especially, bizarrely, in a house situation, it just does my head in and I'm not, I'm not very calm in that situation. So we had a leak. No, we didn't have a leak. We had a flood because um, I... The boys were having a shower, an old upstairs shower, a brand new, lovely upstairs shower. Um, and Levi got out of the shower and went downstairs. I put towel on him, going downstairs, and I was going to go into the shower next. Um, and I was just faffing about in the bedroom, probably reading something on either football or the Bible, one of the two things. Um, I'll say the Bible makes it sound better, doesn't it? Um, and left the shower running as I would do normally. But I hadn't realised that Levi had left a flannel over the kind of drain in the shower um, and so I was on my phone and then suddenly on my phone this is the beauty of modern technology an alert came up on my phone saying your Nest, um, your, your Nest um, smoke alarm is not working I'm like why the heck is that not working and I was annoyed at that I was like why is that not working that's brand new why is it not working and then got up to go and check it and realised then the reason it's not working is because the bathroom our upstairs bathroom is flooded that's obviously gone through the ceiling into the, the kind of first floor and obviously damaged the nest smoke alarm which is that in a way is not a problem except for the fact obviously there's loads of water coming through onto this brand new decorated and painted landing and I'm obviously Susie's very good in this situation I'm not okay and I'm like that's going to cost us thousands now isn't it I have to repair it's brand new it's going to cost us loads and I just don't do very well with it um but it's interesting that in those situations um for me Susie being there is very calm um, and it makes me okay this will be right and it actually was it was fine um, and to be fair Zach said oh it'll be fine daddy don't worry God will sort it out just pray about it it'll be fine I'm like yeah pray about it I'll help Zach um, yeah. um, bizarrely again maybe you need to learn from it Zach 
we actually just prayed about it. So we went the day after thinking, I'm going to have to get the decorator back out again. I'd calm down a little bit. I said, it's only going to be this wall. That's all right. We can cope with that. Day after, nothing at all. No damage at all. Um, which is amazing in itself. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is the fact that in those kind of situations where I don't cope well and I don't, I don't have a clue how to deal with it, it's like, okay, what do we do? I don't know how to face this. But we have those, don't we? And for me, it's very practical things. Like when that happens, it's like, why doesn't stuff work? That's my biggest frustration. It's like, why doesn't it just work? I've, I've done this, it should just work. And I shouldn't have to think about it ever again. But God comes alongside us in those situations where we don't know what to do. And we don't know what we're facing. And in this story, in this account, it's constant, that, that message is constant. That he is with me. When he takes us through the valley of the shadow of death to reveal him in that space. When he takes us to the table where our enemies are sat to reveal him in that space. He is with us. And, and he, he is walking with us every step of the way. That we are not on our own in those spaces. We're not, we're not isolated. We're not, we're not orphaned in those spaces. He is with us. For me, I cannot shake the image from this idea that, that as a sheep, I'm just conscious of the fact that his rod and his staff are with me. Why? Because he's with me. And I've just got this idea of, like, I can just sense him with me here. He's walking with me. As this sheep that's walking, it's all fours, looking straight ahead. Just this constant presence, the fact that the shepherd's with me. It's okay. The shepherd's with me. It's okay. No matter what comes that way, no matter what valley I walk through, no matter what enemy I face, the shepherd's with me. It's okay. And that's the same for us. No matter what we face, the shepherd's with us. It's okay. The shepherd's with me. It's all right. And I remember very tangibly, I was thinking about this the other day to try and communicate the emotion of it for me. I remember when I first went to work at Whitley and I worked for Susie um, and we worked in the base. I remember, you may not even know this, I remember genuinely, um, because the base, to give a bit of context, we used to work to Whitley Academy, the base was kind of what's called the inclusion units. It dealt with... And work with the students that were most challenging in the, in the whole school. Now, if you don't know Whitley, Whitley is a challenging school anyway. Okay, So when you've got the most challenging in a challenging school, these are not straightforward kids. Okay, Lovely kids, really nice kids, but they've got a lot of stuff that makes them difficult to, kind of work, difficult to work with and difficult to kind of manage, I suppose, one of that expression. And I remember working in the base with Susie, and Susie was exceptional, what she did. Um, still is exceptional what she does in that way and it was always very calm in there even the most difficult kids would be, be calm and at peace in that environment and I remember vividly feeling when she had to go out for a meeting or she had to go up to the, the main school and I would be left in this environment thinking I don't want to do this this is not going to go well um, because there was this sense of she's now not here and I'm sure we've all faced situations like that in the sense of that when we go into a situation with somebody who we know is either very good in that situation or just someone that we feel secure and safe around, there's a sense of ease and confidence about that thing. When we go into that situation on our own, our anxiety levels can go up and the way we deal with that situation might be very different. But that's what he brings. That we don't go into those situations on our own. That... that when I walk into those challenging situations, those things that I don't know what to do in or I'm dreading, the shepherd goes with us. And it brings that ease and that peace, whatever it may be. And it'll be different for every single person. But in the same way that Susie might have left that base unit and made me feel, man, I don't know what to do in here if this goes wrong, what happens, blah, 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 blah. But I can be confident in any situation I face because he's not going to leave that space 
He's not going to leave me or you. He's not going to say, right, off you go, now you do it on your own. He's with us. He is present all the time, walking through those things of parenting, of being a husband or a wife, of being an employee, of being a friend, of being a, a world changer, of being a, someone that stands for equality, someone that stands for justice, whatever it may be. He is present with us in all of those situations. And therefore we can be calm and at ease because he is with us. In the same way I felt calm and at ease when Susie came back, I was like, okay, it's all right now, it's fine. That's exactly what happens with him. It's that he's with me. The shepherd is with me. Those sheep that feel safe because the shepherd is with them. That he's leading us in those spaces. That, that, that he walks with us in those environments. Like I said, through, he takes us to barren places. The valley of the shadow of death. Think, I was thinking this through again. The valley of the shadow of death. That If it's the valley of the shadow of death, that means death hangs over that place. Because for a shadow to be cast, the shadow of death to be cast, that means death is in the way between the sun and me. For it to cast a shadow. So over this valley, it's not just a valley as a narrow, barren, empty, lifeless place, but hanging over it is death. Hanging over it is this fear and this intimidation that death is in this environment and it's blocking the sun, it's blocking the light into this place and it's casting a shadow and it exists. But he says, even in that place, I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. Even in the place where I feel like death is hanging in this environment, even in the place where I feel like, man, this is just barren and life is just no hope in this place, I'm not going to fear because you're with me. I'm not going to fear because we can see this barren place, this system of the world, this, this thing that is so ingrained into the very makeup of the landscape, we can see this thing change and become a place of life again, even though death hangs in that place. Because he's taking us through the valley of the shadow of death, not just to get through, but to say, okay, this place is going to become flourishing. This place is going to become life. This place is going to change because you're walking through it and I'm walking through it with you. You're not walking through it to get through it as fast as possible. But you're walking through it to bring change into that environment. And you can bring change into that environment because I am with you. And it will change it. It will alter it. That we look at the systems of the world and they feel so ingrained. They feel so permanent. They feel so like that's not ever going to change. But acts of defiance is the wrong probably the word but acts of resistance or defiance against those things in the places where it feels like this is the most intimidating environment in the world acts of goodness and kindness and love and, and the, the supernatural start to change those environments start to shift that context start to change those places and the systems like the valleys the permanence of them starts to change and actually that valley that place that feels so permanent and so never going to alter it just is that valley just is. That mountain just is. That, that space just is. It's just always there. It's always been that way. It's always existed that way. Jesus spoke to the mountain and said, cast into the sea. He's speaking to the valley and saying, valley, you're dead. You're lifeless, but you're going to be a place that's flourishing. And he's calling us to do that, to be the ones that speak life into those environments. Say, look, you're going to come back. To the valley of the dry bones, to the spaces that are empty and hopeless. He's saying, look, I'm going to walk you through it. I'm going to walk you through it and you're going to see, you're going to speak to it, you're going to see it change. You're going to see these permanent things that look like they're never going to change. You're going to see them change because we're going to be able to do it because he is with us. 
I was thinking about this as well, that he then leads us through these barren places, these systems, these things of permanence that he's causing us to change and alter, that the the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, that the rule and authority of the world become the rule and authority of our God, that, that that's the change, that's the, 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 the shift he's calling us to do. So he's leading us through those places to bring that change, but he's also then leading us, like I said, to the people, and he's calling our enemies to be at our table. Now catch this for a minute. If we keep the same logic of the idea that, it, that it's a sheep, which is what David kind of alludes to at the start, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that's the context. If it's a sheep, then think about it in very practical terms the sheep's enemies are things like wolves and coyotes and foxes and bears and birds like birds of prey kind of birds not not robins um birds of prey kind of birds they're its enemies so now think of it in that context that they're enemies to the sheep why are they enemies to the sheep because those animals those creatures will eat the sheep they're not enemies to the sheep because they call it names Right, fluffy. Okay, they're not they're not kind of doing that, okay? They're enemies to the sheep because they're gonna eat the sheep. They're gonna kill the sheep, they're gonna gonna feast on the sheep, whatever you want to do, okay? But now think of the language. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That he is preparing a table, i.e. a place of provision, so that the provision is no longer the sheep, but the provision is this table. And if we shift that, we live in a society, we live in a system um, that is established because of the decisions that Adam and Eve made, the decisions that humanity have made, where I need to be top dog. I need to specialise in something to be the one that stands out. That I'm going to fight over birthrights, I'm going to fight over identity, I'm going to fight over status, I'm going to become the richest or the most powerful, or I'm going to be the political leader who shapes the world, I'm going to do that by destroying another political party, or I'm going to be the one who, who fights and kind of pushes and shoves my way up, up to the pinnacle because then I'll make a difference. We can look at all these different ways, but, but, but our world society is shaped that way, that, that we have a system where the rich are rich because they make the poor poor. And we can put a whole other system on top of that. We can try communism, or we can try some kind of mix of capitalism and communism, but it doesn't change anything. Why? Because we're dealing with the heart of people. And a system, in the sense of a worldly system, is not going to change any of that, because we're dealing with the heart of people. But we have this idea of a system that is really, when we kind of drill right down to the bottom of it, is really, if I want to win, you've got to lose. If I want to be the best, I've got to make sure you're the worst. If I want to be rich, I've got to make sure you're poor. If I want to have, I've got to make sure you don't. Because there's limited. There's not enough. And think about that. That Really what it's saying is that the enemy of the sheep is the one that says, look, as a wolf, for me to be successful, for me to have what I need, for me to be provided for, you've got to die. I've got to eat you. Because as a wolf, that's my instinct. I need to, to survive. I need to provide for my young. I need, I need to do what I need to do. But for me to do what I need to do, I've got to make sure you as a sheep, you, you've got to give up. You, you've got to give yourself so that I can be successful. But God does this beautiful thing. He said, look, even your enemy, 
We're not going to beat your enemy by beating them. We're not going to beat your enemy by making you the strongest sheep in the world. We're not going to beat your enemy by giving you some kind of like um, tools to, to kind of kill the kind of sheep or to, to kill the wolf or anything like that. We're going to beat your enemy or we're going to encounter your enemy by providing more than enough. By preparing a table before him. Saying, look, actually, you don't need to eat on me. You don't need to get your provision by by killing me. You don't need to get your provision by that because actually there's a God who has made there be more than enough for everybody. And we're not going to do it by kind of imposing actually the sheep are now the, the, the kind of top dog and the wolf is now the bottom. We're not going to do it by that. We're not going to do it by making those who, who don't have be the ones that suddenly have and the ones who do have be the ones that don't have because then we'll just have this constant backwards and forwards between the haves and the haves nots. Okay? We're not going to have a revolution where actually the kings and the queens have got everything but now we want to throw them down and make sure the people that weren't that have got that and then this kind of backwards and forwards constantly because that's just going to go on forever and ever. What we're going to do is we're going to introduce a system or, or a rule or a reign, a kingdom that says actually there's enough for everybody. Even those who are opposed, even those who are enemies of each other, we're going to make sure there's enough for everybody. The, 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 Jesus talks about that we are loving our enemies. We are demonstrating this kingdom that says, I'm going to love you so much that you're going to realise, actually, I don't need to operate in that system anymore because there's more than enough. The, the, there's challenge and the, there's correction, absolutely. But there's this same idea of that look, there's more than enough for you. There's more than enough for me. I don't need to get you to do what I need to do so I'd be successful. In the same way, you don't need to do it for me. We're going to live in a system where there's more than enough. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That you make my cup run over. That there is an abundance in this environment. And that as I go and encounter those, things, those people I think are my enemies, that my attitude is, look, I'm going to show you a different way. I'm going to show you a different way of operating, a different system. That actually, if you're my enemy, if you're the one that, that I can't stand, if you're the one that I think embodies everything that's wrong in society, do you know what I'm going to do? I might challenge you. I might, I might challenge the way you're thinking about things in the same way Jesus did. But actually, my whole motivation for doing that is because I want to show you a different system. I want to show you a different kingdom. I want to show you that actually there's more than enough. Then there's an abundance of what you need right now. That I'm going to come with you with such love and such compassion and such kindness that it starts to change the way you think. Because you see that actually now there's more than enough. You don't need to eat me. You don't, don't need to find your provision by me not having You can find your provision because there's more than enough. And as we do this journey, as we walk this way, as we are led by him in every step of the way, it causes goodness and mercy to follow us. As I said last time, that's the idea that goodness and mercy is not following us because then everything necessarily looks rosy for me. It's the idea that where I've been, the valley of the shadow of death, where I've been with my enemies, where I've been in those places and spaces that are barren and are empty, what I've left behind is goodness and mercy. What I've left behind is the imprint and the DNA of God himself in that environment. What I've left behind is the reflection of heaven on earth in those spaces. Now imagine that. Imagine if in your workplace what you leave behind is the reflection of heaven on earth in that environment. And you may sometimes you may not even know about it because they follow you all the days of your life. And therefore you might not ever know. 
But imagine if in your home with your kids or your family members or your husband or your wife, you leave behind the reflection of God in those environments. That I remember, I can't remember who it was, but someone said that how wonderful would it be for, for one of our children to say, I believed in God because I saw the way he lived. Like for me, there's nothing that would, that would rock me more than that. But isn't that it? Isn't that the way I conduct myself? The way that I walk with him means that behind me is goodness and mercy. That there's this abundance of heaven reflecting on earth. That, 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 that that's what I leave. That when I walk into an environment that's barren, that, that's empty, that's loves, when I encounter people I don't particularly like or I hate or whatever it may be, I bring a kingdom into that place that just changes that environment. And as I move on, that environment's changed and that environment's altered. I'm going to finish with this. I should have brought this in earlier, but I wanted to bring it in. God takes us into these environments and he brings us into these places as part of his restoring of us. That his restoration of us, I bring us back to who we were, is not just in leading us beside the waters making us lie down in green pastures. It's not just in those bits. It's also in the valley of the shadow of death. And it's also in the encounter on enemies. Why? Because if it is about bringing us back to something that we already are, then those environments, especially those hard ones, the valley of the shadow of death and our enemies, especially those places, they give us the opportunity to bring out what he's already made us and demonstrate it in those environments. For example, I will regularly set tests for my students in my classrooms. The aim of my tests is not to make them feel rubbish because they fail. The aim of my test is not to um, even lead them to a point of failure. Why would it be? The aim of a test is to simply give them an opportunity to demonstrate what they know. That's the purpose of it. The problem is we have tests in society now that really become an identity. I got eight GCSEs, A star and above. Okay, I'm, I'm, therefore, I am clever. And that's when we use tests now to go, that's who you are. But actually, the purpose of a test is to simply show, this is what you know. This is what you can do. This is who you are. In terms of, like, let me give you an opportunity to show that in this place but it's become an opportunity thing but that's the purpose of a test that's the purpose of a of a of a challenge that's the purpose of this that he is leading us into places to give us an opportunity to go okay i know who you are i know who you are here's an opportunity to show it not here's an opportunity to fail here's an opportunity to to mess up but here's an opportunity to show who i've always known you to be and to reveal that So our restoration is not just in, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but our restoration is not just in when I lie down in green pastures and when when he leaves me beside still waters. That's lovely, but it's not just in those those lovely points. It's also in the points when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's an opportunity for me to reveal who's always made me to be. It's when I face my enemies, it's an opportunity for me to reveal who he's always made me to be because the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Everything I need is already there. Everything I need is already in that environment, in that space, and therefore it just gives me the opportunity to demonstrate that and challenge me in that opportunity to do those things. The whole point of this is he's leading us, he's walking with us. And as we go into work and our homes and our streets and our 
whatever else families wherever else we go he is leading us and as we leave those places there's goodness and mercy following us because it's pouring out of what he's caused to happen on the inside of us at the same time so Holy Spirit I just ask this week that you would again bug irritate frustrate us by constantly reminding us you're our shepherd we shall not want by constantly reminding us you're always with us you never leave us or forsake us by constantly reminding us that you are leading us into spaces that look barren and into spaces that are hard not to catch us out not to trip us up but to give us opportunity to reveal who you've made us to be to give us opportunity to reveal you as your sons and daughters in those places and thank you that those places and those spaces and places those people thank you that the future and the destiny of those is that they look like heaven on earth that they flourish that they come alive in jesus name amen